Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. Boy, if you're a guest of ours, we're just honored to have you with us this morning. In honor of school starting this past week, I want to start this morning with a quiz. So clear your books away, take out something to write with. No, don't clear your books away. (laughs) Actually, keep your Bible out. I just wanted to remind you that sinking feeling you got when you were in school, when the teacher said, clear your desk away, take out something to write. You know, some more empathy for our kids, you know, as they go back to school. But actually, I I do want to have a quiz for you this morning, but it's not going to go on your permanent record, so nothing to worry about. And I think you're going to do pretty well on it. I want you to think about sidekicks. People that sort of uh, went with other people. Maybe in the background a little bit. I'm going to give you a name and you tell me who their sidekick was. And again, I I think you're going to do pretty well here. Batman had a sidekick named... Very good. Sherlock Sherlock Holmes had a sidekick named... Dr. Watson. Great. The Lone Ranger had a sidekick named... Tonto. And Sheriff Andy Taylor had a sidekick named Deputy Barney Fife. Nicely done. The late Leonard Bernstein, who was a conductor of the New York Philharmonic, once was asked, what is the most difficult instrument to play in the orchestra? And he said, without a doubt, second fiddle. Because everybody likes to sit in the front row and everybody likes to be in the spotlight. Not too many people like to play second fiddle. Not too many people like to provide the the harmony and the uh, support to allow the star to be the star. But when you take a look at just about any great individual, you're going to find a list of second fiddles that help them to be who they were. That's true in the Bible, too. You know, the Bible's full of second fiddles. I'm going to give you part two of our quiz Except this time I'm going to give you a biblical figure who sort of played in the background to maybe the star. I'll give you somebody and you tell me who they played second fiddle to, okay? Lot. Who did Lot play second fiddle to? Abraham. Nicely done. Aaron played second fiddle to Moses. Jonathan played second fiddle to David. Barnabas played second fiddle to Paul. Very good. Question this morning. Who do you play second fiddle to? You know, as Americans, we're not not geared to play second fiddle to anybody, right? I mean, we're number one. We're number one, right? We like to be large and in charge. It might be a small pond that we're in, but we like being the big fish been going through the book of Acts. I mentioned last week in chapter 13, uh, Luke, the writer, uh, made a, a shift in the focus of his writing. And the shift is the Apostle Paul. By the time we got to chapter 13, Paul has already established himself as a player in the history of the early church. From 13 on, Paul is the major player in the book of Acts and in the history of the early church. Who did Paul play second fiddle to? Jesus. There you go. You're a couple slides ahead of me, but you're right. Because on one hand, we could say, Paul didn't play second fiddle to anybody. Paul was was very educated. Uh, Paul knew how to handle people. 
He knew how to deal with people, both friend and foe. I mean, even if you remove Paul from the, uh, the uh, spiritual arena, which for us is hard to do, but even so, nobody outsmarted Paul. Now, there were some people who overpowered Paul, but nobody outsmarted Paul. Paul was a man who criticized John Mark. He was a man who stood up to the Apostle Peter. He was a man who had a falling out with Barnabas. In a lot of ways, you know, Paul really answered to no man. But in some other significant ways, Paul played second fiddle to everybody. And as someone already pointed out, Paul fell in love with Jesus. And when Paul fell in love with Jesus, he fell in love with the people that Jesus loves. And when that happened, Paul realized that Jesus comes first. And the people that Jesus loves comes next, which includes who? Everyone. And Paul says, I'm just sitting in the third chair. I'm at a point in my life now where, where I'm sitting in the third chair. Let me share with you some facts about Paul's life and see if we can't make it clear what his priorities were. And of course, the reason we're doing this is to maybe re-examine our own priorities. You know, there's some lifestyles that, that everyone sort of uh, hopes to achieve, and there's some habits that we all sort of uh, look forward to and wrap ourselves in. It's things that are important to all of us. The question is, were they the same things that were important to a guy like Paul? And here's the first thing. We want to be comfortable. As Americans, we want to be comfortable. I tried to think of a scenario where comfort wasn't that big a deal to us. I couldn't think of one. We want to be comfortable all the time. We want to be comfortable when we're home. I'll confess I'm a little bit like the old guy there. I got my chair. My favorite chair where I always sit. If you come to my house, you're welcome to sit in my chair the first time you're there. (laughs) Second time, hey, that's my chair. Because to me, it's the most comfortable. I want to be comfortable when I'm home. We want to be comfortable in our cars, right? People buy a new car today, they don't ask so much about the engine or the the transmission. They want to know, how many cup holders does that thing have? Is it Bluetooth compatible? Is there lumbar support? Can my kids watch a movie while we drive the three miles to Publix? Because I want to be comfortable. We want to be comfortable when we're at work. We want to be comfortable when we go to the movies. Martha and I went to a movie yesterday afternoon. We went to a different theater that had like reclining chairs, big reclining chairs. I said, I found my new theater. This is where I'm seeing all of my movies now. It was awesome. It was so comfortable. Now, even when we, even when we decide we're not going to be comfortable, we want to be comfortable. Even when we decide we're going to rough it, we want to be comfortable. Don, how comfortable are those RVs that you guys sell? Pretty comfortable, aren't they? Yeah. We like being comfortable. When you read the New Testament, with the exception of Jesus, I don't think you'll read about anybody who was more uncomfortable than was the Apostle Paul. We're familiar with the little bio that Paul mentions about himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're familiar with it, but still, it's, it's a really chilling thing to read. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. 
Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. That's a lot of danger. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Paul knew hardship. Paul knew what it was to be uncomfortable. If you were to write a paragraph about the hardship that you have encountered as a Christian... I'm going to go out on a limb and guess it wouldn't look too much like Paul's. What would we write if we wrote about our uncomfortableness as a Christian, our hardship? I don't know. Well, three times someone told me no thank you when I invited them to church. My car had a flat tire once on the way to church. No, I, I got indigestion after a potluck. Then there's Wednesday night, come on, I mean that's a hardship, right? It's a little bit embarrassing, isn't it? When we think about our hardships compared to someone like the Apostle Paul. But Paul said, listen, when you put Jesus first, when he's in that first chair, and when you put the people that Jesus loves in that second chair, when you go ahead and take a seat in the third chair, you can expect some situations that aren't quite as comfortable as you might want them to be. We like to be comfortable. Along with being comfortable, there's something else most Americans put a huge premium on, and that is we want to be popular. We want to be popular with everyone. We want to be in the right group. We want to be in the right club. We want to have the right social standing. We want to be seen in the right light. And it's amazing what people will do and what people will compromise in an effort to be popular. Now, Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that our goal is to be unpopular. (laughs) Don't go out and act like a jerk because the preacher said we shouldn't be popular. But just don't be surprised when people don't always react like we think they will. I heard about an efficiency expert who was giving a presentation to a company. And at the end of his presentation, he said, now don't try these time-saving tips at home. Someone said, why shouldn't we try them at home? And he said, well... A few weeks ago, I was watching my wife make breakfast, and I noticed that she made a lot of trips from the refrigerator to the stove to the table to the cabinet. She always just carried one thing, and I said, you know, sweetheart, you'd be much more efficient. You could do this faster if you carried more things and made less trips. The guy said, well, did it work? Was it more efficient? The expert said, absolutely. She used to make my breakfast in 20 minutes. Now I make it in 15 Saw that coming, didn't you? Yeah, people don't always respond like we think they might. But for Paul, the message never changed. Even though people's responses changed, Paul's message never changed. Let's jump into chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas are on what we call Paul's first missionary journey. They're in Lystra. Paul heals a man there, and I want you to see how how the crowd responds to this miracle in this message. It's unexpected, I would think even to Paul. Verse 11. 
When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Interesting reaction, isn't it? How tempting would it have been for Paul and Barnabas to revel in that attention just a little bit? You know, they share this message, they perform a miracle through the power of God, and, and people say, wow, you, 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 you are God. You're a God, come down. A couple of weeks ago, I, I quoted a scene from the movie Hoosiers. Give me enough time, I'll quote the whole movie one illustration at a time. But there's a scene in that movie where there's a, the basketball coach is sort of having a conversation with a teacher. And the teacher says, you know, in this town, if you can put a basketball through a hoop, people treat you like a god. And the coach says, most people would do anything to be treated like a god, even for just a day. And I think he's right. Now, here is Paul. People want to treat him as a god. How tempting would it have been for Paul to take just a little bit of the credit for what was going on there? But, but notice Paul and Barnabas' response. It's beautiful. Verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes, rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, humans like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. Rather than enjoying the popularity of this crowd for just a moment, Paul and Barnabas say, no, it's not about us, it's about God. I want to turn you, for your attention from us, I want, to, I want to turn you to Jesus. Verse 18, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. No, Paul, you're a god. You are to be praised. You're to be honored. You're to be worshipped. We're going to sacrifice to you. Funny thing about popularity. Quite often, it doesn't last very long. In the very next verse, the very next verse, as Paul is going from as popular as probably he's ever been in any crowd, people stone him. Verse 19, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Popularity is a funny thing. One day you're a god, the next day you're a goner. But well, we want to be popular because it's all about me. What do I want? What do I need? What do I think? What's my truth? What will make me happy? But as Christians, we bring a different story into that culture. It's not about us. Because we're not sitting in the first chair. Jesus is sitting in the first chair. We're not even sitting in the second chair. The people Jesus loves sit in that chair. We're sitting in the third chair. It's about Jesus. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. That is a brutal sentence. 
And I, I wonder, as Paul is being stoned, as those stones start raining down on him, I wonder if Paul thought back in his memory to a scene not that long ago when someone else was getting stoned. Back in what we know as Acts chapter 7, when a guy by the name of Stephen was being stoned because he loved Jesus and he loved the people that Jesus loved. At that point, Paul was on the other side of the fence. Paul was standing there cheering those people on who were stoning Stephen. Now he's the one being stoned. I wonder if he thought back to that day. You know, Jesus has a way of changing our focus. Jesus has a way of changing our priorities, changing our life. This area that Paul and Barnabas find themselves in right now, and I should have put it on a map up here, but uh, Lystra, Iconium, Derby, it's in, it's in the north. It's in the area that we call Galatia. When Paul got back home, he'd write a letter back to those same people. It became a book of the Bible. The book of Galatians. Very good. As Paul ended that book of Galatians, he ended it by saying this, I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. Could you imagine those people in Galatia reading that? Because they would have remembered Paul being stoned. I mean, you don't see something that brutal without that being seared into your memory. This isn't some metaphorical analogy that Paul is making when he says, I bear on my body the scars. He's not talking about, you know, my spirit is crushed or my heart is broken. I think he's talking about literal scars from whips and rods and stones that, that tore his body apart. Yeah, they would have remembered Paul being stoned. And they would have had appreciation for what he said. I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. Paul wasn't concerned with being comfortable. And he wasn't concerned with being popular. But there were some things that concerned Paul a great deal. And let me mention just a couple of them and uh, maybe some, some practical applications that might help us as we start a new week. First, Paul saturated himself in the Word of God. In chapters 13 and chapter 14, you'll read 15 different times Phrases like God's Word and the Word of Truth, teaching of the Lord, Law and the Prophets, the Good News. Paul didn't need to be comfortable, he didn't need to be popular, but he knew he needed to be in the Word. And of course, he didn't have the total Word that we had. You know, he's, he's in the process of living it and writing it. But still, Paul said, I'm, I'm immersing myself in God's Word because I know that's what sustains me. And I know that's what encourages me. And I know that's what's going to strengthen me. How much time do you spend in God's Word during the week? How much time do you spend in the Bible during the day? Do you carve out a part of your day to spend in, in the Word of God? So, well, I don't have time. You have the exact amount of time that everybody else on the face of the planet has. It's the question of how are you using your time? I had someone tell me just this past week, you can't get people to commit to anything anymore. That's not true. People commit to things all the time. You're committed to something. The question is, what are you committed to? The problem isn't that people won't commit. The problem is people commit to the wrong things. It's misplaced commitment. 
Let me share with you a resource that's available to us that, that you might not be aware of. George Klein turned us on to, to BIG, Bible Interactive Group, several months ago. It is a, uh, a group that is reading a couple chapters of the Bible every single day uh, together. And the neat thing about it is you can do it through social media. The Bay Area Church of Christ has a big group that we can read it all together. And on your social media feed, you'll get prompts of, here's today's reading. In fact, you'll get a link that you can click on, and it'll take you to that reading, or you can click on an audio link to that, and you can listen to that reading every day. It's just a couple chapters, but everybody's reading it or listening to it together. And another neat thing is we get to interact you know, we can, we can make comments about what we read or ask questions, you know, post uh, thoughts and, and observations. Or, if you're not on social media, and I'm not sure you can see it very well, but there's a website available that George put through our Vital Concern uh, uh, website, vitalconcern.com backslash Bible PDF. You will get the year-long uh, reading schedule or... If that's too much of a hassle, there's a big stack of them out here on the lobby table, right underneath our video monitor. Let me make a uh, confession to you this morning. I joined this group last week. Now, I read my Bible every day, but I hadn't been reading along with the big group. Say, well, it's already the middle of August. It's okay, I'm jumping in. I would challenge you to jump in as well. We're just getting ready to go into Psalms. Ooh, that's going to be some encouraging reading. Take advantage of that resource. You're touching people in your circle of influence. You affect people. Maybe in ways that no one else can affect them. In our Friday night devotional, uh, Orlando Jr. made the comment that we need to be people that others know are going to give biblical advice. We need to be people that others know, you know what, we're going to get a Christian perspective when I ask his opinion or her opinion. We're going to get some uh, biblical stand on moral issues when I talk to this person. Not necessarily quoting scripture, but just people need to know, I read my Bible and it's important to me. But we'll never have that kind of influence if we don't read our Bible, if we don't spend time in the Word. So yeah, we need to be uh, immersed in the Word of God. Here's a second lesson that we learned from Paul. Paul emphasized the gospel to the lost, and he emphasized grace to the poor. On one hand, Paul was a pretty complicated guy. Type A personality, kind of a wild past, pedal to the metal kind of you know, lifestyle. On the other hand, this complicated guy, his whole focus can really be broken down into two specific objectives. He emphasized the gospel to people who were lost, and he emphasized grace to people who were saved. Last week, we, we looked at that great statement of Paul's in, in Acts chapter 13, where he says, Brothers, listen, in this man Jesus there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is freed from all guilt and declared right with God. That's good news. It's good news that people need to hear. Something the Jewish law could never do. To the lost, Paul is all about Jesus. 
You need Jesus. That was his message. As we spend a couple more weeks in the book of Acts, you're going to see that Paul had this knack of turning any situation and every conversation into a conversation about Jesus. No matter where he was, no matter what he was doing, let me talk to you about Jesus. Let me shift this into talking about Jesus. And we've been challenging each other this whole year. How can we get better at that? How can we get better at talking to people about Jesus, about working good news that everybody needs to hear into our daily conversations? Pay attention to Paul. Because when it came to lost people, he was all about Jesus. It was all about the gospel. And to the saved, he wanted to be sure we understood grace. There's a reason why Paul is called the apostle of grace. He talked about grace all the time. And again, knowing where he came from, he had to have had a special appreciation for grace. As we keep moving through this book, we're going to see Paul's focus on grace Take you back to Acts chapter 13. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. Paul and Barnabas just kept preaching grace. Well, let's see how this first missionary journey ends. Let's back up a little bit, back to verse 19 of of chapter 14. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. By the way, I think this is a miraculous healing. Like I said, to be stoned to the point of death, that would have been brutal. It would have been bloody. I'm convinced this is miraculous healing that allows Paul to be stoned one day and walk to another city the next. Verse 21. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Don't blow past that statement. And again, I should have put a map up here, but then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Then they went back to the very cities where they were run out of town. The very cities where mobs were incited against them. The very cities where people came and stoned them. Why? Why would they go back? What would motivate them to want to return to those cities? Verse 22. Strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Paul and Barnabas were disciples who made disciples. They went back and they strengthened. They encouraged those people who were already saved to remain true to the faith. They understood baptism wasn't the destination. Baptism was the initiation into a life with Christ. And they needed to be strengthened, and they needed to be encouraged. They needed to be taught everything that Jesus had commanded. That's part of the Great Commission, right? You know, Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and make decisions. He said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded. We're never going to be a church that makes a difference 
unless we're a church that makes disciples. And you see that from Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 14. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From Atalia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported. I look at a lot of things that happened in that first missionary journey, and I see a lot of closed doors. I see a lot of angry people. I see a lot of frustration. I see a lot of disappointment. Had I been Paul, had I been the guy reporting back, I would have led with, I was stoned. I was stoned and left for dead. That's what I would have said. We had to, we had to flee cities. We shook the dust off our feet from cities. But that's not what Paul led with. Paul led with, his report was, you should have been there. You should have seen what God was doing. It was amazing. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. You know, Paul says, we didn't worry about being comfortable, and we didn't worry about being popular. We just preached Jesus. And when we preached Jesus, God went to work. Listen, when we preach Jesus, when we talk about Jesus, when we brag on Jesus, when we point people to Jesus, God goes to work. And I'm convinced if we can keep that our focus, we're never going to run out of people to talk to about Jesus. So, who are you going to talk to about Jesus this week? Which is not a rhetorical question, by the way. <laughs> now, who, who are you going to talk to about Jesus? Who are, who are you going to witness to this week? Who are you going to share your Jesus story with this week? We talked about that a lot. And we we're sort of reminding each other. We haven't done that in a while. So let me remind you. Who are you going to witness to this week? Who are you going to give um, one of these pamphlets to? There's a whole bunch of them still out here in the lobby. Who are you going to give one of these invitation cards to? Hey, come sit with me at church. Here's my name. Here's the service I attend. I'll save you a seat. How much time are you going to spend in God's Word this week? Are you going to take the challenge and join the, the big Bible study? The Bible interactive group? You're going to commit to something this week. Why not commit to godly things? Why not commit to Jesus and His Word? Listen, if we can help you in any way, we would love to do that. Dave's got a song we're going to sing as a song of encouragement. There's going to be some people here at the front of the auditorium. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you and pray for you, whatever we can do, if you'd meet us there. Let's stand and sing.